You're now listening to the Something Good Podcast Network. Please press any key to continue. A kiss, as defined by Dan Webster, is something pleasing, a caress, a gentle touch. But there's another kiss that isn't in Webster's. Hey world, we're kids! Some critics say they don't make music, they just make noise. Yeah, kiss! Kiss implies the extreme in the theatrics on stage, utilizing fire and smoke and bizarre costumes and the ever-consistent, constant concealment of their true identities. Speaking of which, Kiss is going to have its own comic book soon. Take Kiss with you. It's fun. Show your friends and be the first. Now. And welcome... To no time to turn a kiss nerd podcast nerds and at the time of this recording a very uh, happy 70th birthday to one paul stanley hey that's hey, true 70 yep magic Who- the magic number <laughs> I don't know why I say that. Just... I mean, nope. There are no uh, old rock stars anymore. I guess. I mean, yeah, they're technically old, but you know, everybody that's seventy years old is still well, kind of touring. Seventy is kind of like the new fifty, really. right? I mean, it is. It kind of, <laughs> sort of is. It's like when I was a kid, a seventy-year-old was like a senior fucking citizen like yeah. old now you look at like someone like paul stanley and you're like he's not that old no no you know he's old but he's not that you know, old yeah so it's really not you know you realize that that's kind of like that's a you know a number is really just a number mm-hmm. really is you know because mick and keith still tour and everything exactly. and that's just the standard you know? now everybody's like well i'm gonna keep touring until you know i mean where, whenever their due date is keith looks old yeah. Well, Keith but, looked old for like 40 years. <laughs> but Nick looks great. And it's weird. You know? I, you I know have it. to stop and go, God damn, how old is that motherfucker? <laughs> Pushing I thought you were about to say, God damn, homie. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I kind of stumbled in. I said, no time to turn. And, and so well, let me start over. It's no time to turn. And as always, I am joined by Cap and Alex from the Something Good For You podcast. Yo, yo. And we are tracking down the history of Kiss album by album year by year blah 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 blah, blah. <laughs> we are not experts we do not claim to be and we're just kind of going along and gathering information and just jibber jabbering about it and hopefully y'all have been along for the ride i know we've had a pretty good response so far oh, yes and we're really happy that uh everyone that has commented or reached out to us or messaged us or whatever we really appreciate it absolutely and give us a rating on any of the podcast platforms you're listening to us on whether it be itunes spotify any of that stuff and preferably a good rating yeah honest wait, wait no, i'm not gonna no, i'm, I'm not gonna I'm fish I'm Let them, yeah give us a bad rating if you think it's bad it's, you know it's, but you know it's our show so fuck you <laughs> i still um, want to know what we're missing half the time because you know it is a nerd podcast we wanted to do all the details yeah and we did we've been we've been told we're not nerdy enough i know i love it i love like, that okay. that's like some of the best criticism yeah. i've gotten well that's that's what's cool kind of in or maybe not cool in a weird or whatever way you want to look at it with kiss fans you know because they're kiss there's no they're not fans they're nerds Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, you yeah. know, they're like the Star Trek version or the the rock and roll version of Star Trek fans. It really is. <laughs> but uh, well, you know what? Speaking of nerd, um, we're going to look at the album music from the Elder. Yes, mm-hmm. perhaps Kiss's nerdiest record. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah, you know. Now, now that I think about it, you're you're pretty on the spot with that one. We're taking out the uh, the fuck me suck me songs, and then uh, <laughs> as Bob Ezrin would say, yeah. and. Uh, 
replacing uh, them with a concept. So uh, I guess let's we kind of came out of uh, 1980 with the Australian tour, mm-hmm. which is the absolute pinnacle of their success anywhere in the world, really. Yep. Well, I guess I guess they might still get one little last gasp here in in the next year or two but we'll we'll get to that on another episode but by and large the fad is over we've talked about that and you know it really is the end of an era because you know peter has left and they've brought in eric carr so there is change um and uh dynasty as well as it was doing like say australia well as well as kiss was doing in australia and places like that dynasty was not selling well at all either or not well, to their standards well they did well in australia and then of course unmasked was huge in australia that's what i meant unmasked yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and then uh they're coming off of but the unmasked was a complete bomb in america yeah um they don't even tour america for unmasked and they're not going to tour America for this, but we'll get to that. Um, and just to reiterate, I don't know if we brought this up in the last episode, but they renegotiated their contract with Bill LaCoin. Mm-hmm. And he's now on a year-to-year contract. Right. So, you know, he's getting reviewed every year. Um, and I guess they're kind of seeing the, the uh, you know, for lack of a better word, I mean, let's be honest, it's a failure. Unless yeah. they're seeing that and thinking, hmm, maybe we went too far into a pop kind of feel here. So the idea is they're going to return to their straightforward rock approach. Yep. And in spring of 1981, they returned to the studio to work on new material and allegedly i guess uh they track a few songs and are unhappy with them i don't know and you know I've what heard a little this bit is this is this. where i'm going to start getting kind of fuzzy this is where i'm going to mm-hmm. start forfeiting my kiss nerd points because once we get into the <laughs> right. 80s i've i kind of checked out so is there is there does any of that exist? Is there? Uh, I don't think any of that necessarily exists. I know that there is hours upon hours upon hours of elder demo content out there. I remember downloading that years ago and listening to it just on my iPod. I mean, it would be like ten different takes of "World with Our Heroes" backing track, you know. So it's like there's a ton of like well, demo-y stuff out so, there, including the uh, the "Don't Run." dark light version mm-hmm. but i think all of that was done in that sending tapes back and forth era which we'll get into right well before we even get to that i mean what's but let's get into what made them kind of switch tracks here and decide to go for a concept album because um the idea here is that they need a more grand approach it can't be just another album you know they've done the hard rock thing they've done the kind of pop hard pop i guess you would call it thing you know they feel like if they were to just go and slap a new tread on what they've already done then that it's all it's all for you know they've done it Mm -hmm. so logically this kind of makes sense they want to do something you know let's do let's let's see where we can go with this let's push it so they reach back out to they reach out to bob ezrin that's right with the goal the idea is to elevate them you know, elevate their status higher as a musical unit. And yeah. this is before a concept album has even entered the picture. 
They just want to kind of showcase how talented they are, how great musically they are. Well, they just wanted to make kind of like what Russ was saying, just a bigger, grandiose thing. I don't even thing. think I, it was so much to prove that they were good musicians or anything like this. I think they just wanted to expand upon their concept because they felt like they're Kiss. Mm-hmm. And now they've been Kiss, and now they've been Super Kiss. Well, where's the... We, we can't just go back to being Kiss. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and see, and, you know, and there's, you know, not to reference another podcast, but there's always three sides to every coin. Uh, where do you think the timeline in this goes? Because from all accounts that I've heard, read, FAQ, Paul's book, everything, they pulled in Ezrin first, and then the idea of the concept album came about. Well, that's the confusing thing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So some people say that it was Ezrin's idea, he pitched it, and then Gene went with it. Gene's account is he was on his own, thought of it, brought it to the table. Ezrin ran with it and said, well, this is what y'all are doing. And Paul has kind of said that one, too. So it's like that. I don't know. It That feels like maybe just a whole lot of really close together timing with drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Coins claimed it was his his suggestion. Oh, Bill's suggestion. Okay. So they've all got and everyone claims. So I think really for the some truth reason lies a little bit probably in the middle. I think it's a confluence of ideas all coming together, and I think they all kind of happened upon it simultaneously. Like, aha! Let's let's album. just do a concept album. Yeah. 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 It'll be our the wall. Yeah. Essentially. Very much. Yeah. I think that was definitely weighing heavily on their... Uh, yeah, so I don't think they necessarily wanted to show how talented they were, but more or less just show at well, this point. And I think with Bill LaCoin, I think he was seeing it beyond that. I think he was seeing it as like, you know, again, allegedly Gene's claim is that this was a, a treatment that he had written for a possible feature film. Right, I've heard that account too. Because he was, uh, he had gone Hollywood at that point. Okay, <laughs> maybe, maybe so. Either which way, I think that that you know, and that's. But Ezrin picked up on that concept and ran. You know, it was like this is where this we. This is a go. great idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> guys, guys, guys. Um, and we're not picking on him. It, this, no, this is something this is, that everyone has very blatantly up in, up said. Up to and included yep. himself. Yes. Uh, but, you know, what also makes this very attractive for him is that uh, in this in this production deal, uh, he's going to get cut in on any percentages of a film and related merchandise. Mm-hmm. Bob Ezrin will. Yep. Because and, he's basically doing the whole soundtrack for it. So, and of course, Bill of Coins just like in his wheelhouse because this is what he does well. He's in TV and film. Yep. Or so, came from. You know, and the merchandise, yeah, which they've cut him out of, which we talked about in the previous episode. But, but I'm not sure, really, I'm sure we went down the percentages, yeah. and it was like, well, <laughs> did he really? Well, I mean, he lost the the rights to the merchandise. They 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 licensed it out to 20th Century Fox. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure that in this kind of a deal, he would still get a some sort of percentage. He would. I mean, he's the manager, you know. Um, Fox is like, shit, we didn't get Star Wars. We can at least get Kiss. <laughs> <laughs> so they start in on recording this thing. It's done mostly in Toronto, where is, where it's, which is Bob Ezrin's hometown. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone except for one key member, which is, of course, Ace Fraley. Yes. Ace mm-hmm. has built his own studio. Ace in the whole studios. In the basement of his house. In Connecticut. In Connecticut. 
much to the chagrin of the business managers. I think this thing cost like close to half a million dollars. And he barely lived there like two to three years and then moved out. And yeah, <laughs> it's and it's but it was a state of the art studio. Have you seen the current photos of it? I've seen photos from about 10 years ago. I, th- I think yeah. that's about as current as I've seen it, too. I heard it was turned into like a rec room or something. It was. They took the entire recording yeah, well, area yeah. and just turned it into like a big well, old family well, rec what room. What else can you do with it? It was built to be an underground studio. It's like, what are you going to do with a bunker like that? But he's recording his stuff there. They're flying the master tapes between Toronto and New York, I guess, and then dri- you know, taken, driven to Connecticut across the river and and the sad thing is is like the only reason both of these things are being done is so both of the major drug addicts in the band can be closer to their habits exactly ace didn't (laughs) want to leave because of his habits and that's why they had to go all the way up to toronto for bob (laughs) and it's just like bob's just wanting to be close to his his, uh, hookups too (laughs) and, and the sad thing is is like you know i'm sure in the moment they were just like well this is what we just have to do but it's like when you take that couple steps back you're like you're pushing this hard for this record yeah well I like mean, how much trouble we're going through well, they thought this was going to be a huge album oh yeah huge huge and and you know it made i'm sure in the moment they didn't think about it like that they just thought okay this is what we need to get it done and you know it's like why not you mm-hmm. know i mean why not and so uh but you know it's also interesting to note that allegedly apparently whatever bob ezrin isn't really actively involved in the recording of this yeah he kind of checks out midway through he he develops the concept develops and he's probably there in the songwriting but when it comes to the actual recording he's kind of left it to gene and paul basically essentially to self-produce yeah and they're trading notes but that's it like uh yeah, because like, the whole I think the whole thing was like they had to like they were trying to call him at home and he couldn't even be reached on the phone, so his wife was having to relay messages of what they need to do and different shit like this. Yeah, he was that bad off too. And you know, this whole thing is being done in a very strict, secret kind of you know super top secret way because they really feel that they're gonna unleash something really, really spectacular, right. and they don't want to give up any of their secrets yet they don't want to you know hint that you know what they're working on is going to be so magical and special you know it's yeah. like this is more than just a mere rock album we're going to make something that's going to really put us on the map and stand the test of time and the critics are going to love it everyone's going to love it <laughs> everyone's going to love it because this is going to be huge <laughs> so huge that at some point and I don't have the full story on this, but at some point, uh, a boxing promoter named Lou Falsigno, is that maybe how it's pronounced? If I butchered that, I apologize. Was approached, to, they wanted to have him help promote a closed circuit grand concert special. Hmm. Related. And, and, and you know, promoter. the idea is that they're going <laughs> to tour behind this thing. With probably like a whole stage, you know, a stage production and like Kiss would normally do, but with like the uh, background of the story as they're, you know. And they went mm-hmm. back to the guy that designed the the uh, Destroyer stage, and its name his name has slipped my mind all of a sudden. Uh, by the way, the, the story of The Elder, it's... I, well, we'll, I think we'll get to that in well, the track yeah, by track. We're, okay. we're, we're probably getting ahead of ourselves. So, um, 
do we want to go ahead and do the track by track on this thing? Well, I think one other thing uh, or to mention before we really go into it, because of course, as we're talking about kind of the writing process, uh, a very interesting co-writer steps in for uh, three of the songs on here. Yep, Lou Reed, Gene Simmons, and Lou Reed are working together for this record. Well, we'll talk about that. I'm, I'm, we'll get to that here in a minute. I, w- I will explore that a little bit. Okay, uh, when we go go into this, but. Well then, yeah. Let's roll track do by we, track. Do we do we want to go track by track and then discuss how it was received by the record company, or do we want to say how the record company received it and then explain? <laughs> There's a lot to that too. <laughs> well, well to? my my favorite uh, story. This is in Paul's book, and I and I love listening to the audio book and hearing him explain it. He says uh, when the record was done and they were playing it for anyone, he insisted on pure silence yeah, yeah, yeah. And that no one could reply no one could react yeah. until the record was completely done fitting for the artistic standing that it deserved well, <laughs> does let's, it let's, let's, find out. let's find out now we're going to go through this now okay no actually let's let's let me mm-hmm. say this we when the record was finally finished and they finally previewed it to the to the powers that be and the promotion After their team, pure silence yeah <laughs> You know, it was met with confusion, if not outright disdain. Yeah, but not say, to their face, but behind the scenes, you know, like... It was even suggested that they shelve it and record another record. Yeah. And, oh, my God. I didn't get then, to find that out. Um, so, the label demands that the record be resequenced and put the punchier, fast songs up front mm-hmm. and close the album with a you know i guess it still does anyway i'm not, you know i'm not exactly sure you know why, I, why they would want to do this given that it's a concept and it's a story and it has this flow that it's supposed to have but now they've got to be like you know fuck that put put that one song up in the front you know yeah, and all that and they had no and, and they had no power to fight against this mm-hmm. Paul, Paul was saying it's, it's the equivalent of taking a really bad book ripping out all the pages throwing it in the air and then just cobbling it yeah. back together yeah. again yeah because uh, so, in their vision like the first three songs are kind of like not exactly a you know a steady rockers but you know if you get the original album it starts with the oath but I think uh I think as the uh, the remastered version that uh, has the uh, original uh, track listing that they had envisioned, I think that flows a whole lot better well, than the. Well, it's supposed uh, to. I, I mean, that's the way it was supposed to be done. So we're gonna are we gonna go through it that way? Then the way it was supposed to be yes, ordered, like the, the way idea. that we're supposed to silently so, listen and take it. You all can imagine in. you put your needle on the into the groove and you're like fucking yeah fuck yeah kiss motherfucker yeah we're gonna fucking listen to kiss the kiss get like what the fuck is this surprise it's a fanfare well you got a concept record (laughs) this is what this album is going to be (laughs) just sets the tone (laughs) so we get this fanfare thing this medieval sounding you know epic intro kind of thing big horns the so you've got your chanting yeah. weird shit at the end. So we've got we're, we're like okay, it's we're like, into all right, new. It's gonna okay. roll into okay, something. We're gonna big roll into now. something because you know this is maybe it's like you know Destroyer started with that weird you know whole intro with the car and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe they're just maybe they're just leading us into right, this. Right, right, right. Wrong. Acoustic guitar Wrong. chimes <laughs> for just a boy. <laughs> oh my god. Now just a boy. Um. 
Overall, like, okay, so how do we want to look at this? This, this is what's going to make... I don't want to look at it. I don't want to listen to it. But, but... So, but so, because, I'm, I mean, right now my eyes are watering. This stinks so bad. So, but again, are we wanting to judge this on rock and roll over destroyer love gun or are we wanting to judge this on the idea okay. of a concept well, you can record. do okay let's yeah. do both okay, okay. We, let's 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 look at it as the idea of the concept itself right now because it's not fair to compare this to other kiss material it's not yeah i, I would agree and kind of like I was with say, peter chris's solo album it's not fair to compare it against you know so you i think we can it. all agree that this is not a good kiss record. right as far as an album overall it i has, don't think there are any good kiss songs on this record if that makes sense yeah that's kind of how i look at it too well maybe one but well, we can get to that. But, but but so with that being said, across the board for the whole record, how many times are we going to be sitting here going, but but <laughs> <laughs> because this record is fucking weird, man. <laughs> it is because there are like weird shining moments, like in each song that like keeps it from being like horrible. And that's why I was going to get with "I'm Just a Boy." I don't like this song, but if you want, if you have to look at it from a cinematic standpoint, Paul's vocal is very strong. He carries the tune. Was is it a good tune? No, but but it's a good, powerful vocal for this interesting thing it, they're trying to do. It's a weird turn for Paul too, because it's more like operatic. It's more theatrical and not so uh, sassy rock and roll anymore. We're trying to do Tommy. He's no longer stole your love. Well, no. this <laughs> might work for a stage musical. Yeah, but as a rock song, mm. or even as a rock opera. Which is maybe a way to look at this, too. It's still a bit of a stretch. It's a little too... Um, I don't know what the word would be. It's too theatric in a way. Like, not theatric, like a cinematic theatrical, but like, uh, like uh, you know, like a, a Broadway. Yeah. It feels yeah. like Broadway more than it does, you know, and not... Like, The Who did Tommy. That doesn't feel like Broadway to me. No, but... They did Quadrophenia. That's definitely not fucking Broadway. And he made the Tommy movie, which is fucking weird as dumb as fuck. <laughs> but it's even still, I mean, you know, I think the saving grace of this song for me is the solo. Yeah. And there's a lot of the, 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 this is one of the things that I think, you know, Paul is pretty underrated as, you know, his solos really service the song mm -hmm. and they're really good. And their solo in this is really good. There's a lot of great, another thing. It's, it's Paul playing that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And uh, the guitar tones on this album are really fucking good yeah. as well. Like I'll yeah. credit this album where uh, it's due. Like the sounds on this are some of the bigger guitar sounds out of the entire catalog. So this this goes into the next track, Odyssey. Which, I think Odyssey's better than Just a Boy. It's I, oh really? Okay, it's now a, it's a weird arrangement. This, and go the, ahead. I was gonna say it's a weird arrangement. And this is where they get uh, outside writers or the start of it. This is a, a Tony Powers composition. Yeah, I meant to do some homework. I did do some homework on Tony Powers, and I didn't write any of it down. I don't know why. He wrote, I, I did a quick little thing. I'm sure Caps and mm -hmm. I had done some of it too. Looked like just a lot of like bubblegum pop hits. He had a hit in the '60s with uh, that he co-wrote with Phil Spector called uh, "Why Do Lovers Break Each Other's Hearts." Yeah, but didn't didn't he write something else in the? On the it was popular thereafter he had a couple of uh it was mostly 60s kind of um, like bubblegum hits that's all i could find really on yeah. him but um 
I didn't get. A, I didn't honestly didn't sit down and listen to him. But well, the way everything kind of like lifts and crescendos a little bit is very odd, especially for Kiss. I think Paul's vocal in this sucks. He's trying. You like the little far off galaxy? Yeah. He's, he's, it sounds like he's singing from his throat. It sounds like his throat's uh-huh. tight, and it's like it sounds like he's been taking voice lessons or something. Yeah. And you know what I liked about Paul Staley's vocal style was that it was kind of raw and untrained, and still really strong and powerful. And and from this point on, his vocal style will never ever again be the same. And people like to sit there and talk about how great of a vocalist he was, particularly in the eighties. And I was like, no, no, he's fucking. It's it's too. He just had good range. He had mighty That's good range, it but it wasn't it wasn't Paul Stanley that I like. Mm-hmm. You know that raw kind of balls out fucking take me. Yeah, and that's gone, and it's yeah. never going to come back. And this vocal is so bad it's just i don't you know it's i mean i guess technically it's technically a good vocal but it's just it just feels so restrained and so constricted yeah and it's almost like it sounds like he's like you know constipated <laughs> and, see, and, and i can't disagree with any of that but there's something about this song that always draws me in like when i go back and re-listen to it it, it takes a little bit to get through i like the way the chorus uh all the choruses are with the swelling of the strings mm. and the little dun, the dun. once upon yeah once it, upon not yet yeah <laughs> I didn't say it was good lyrics. A child in a sundress looking at a rainy sky. Okay, a child in a sundress looking at a rainy sky. There's a place in the desert where an ocean once danced by. Yes. (laughs) So on that note. Meanwhile, there's a bullet in the chamber and I'm about to put it in my fucking skull. (laughs) Okay, so actually on that note. This is melodramatic hogwash with inane lyrics. I'm talking musically right now. This is not epic. This is fucking melodramatic hogwash. It tries so hard to be epic, but go ahead, Alex. (laughs) Go ahead, Alex. Defend it. You got to take lyrics out of this. I ain't talking lyrics. Uh, But actually starting at that sundress line, everything they do from that moment on musically is really cool because you talked about solo. That's an awesome, I guarantee you, another Paul Stanley solo. You think that's Paul? It's so simplistic, and it's that guitar tone. Honestly, I think that's Ace. It's not credited as Paul in the uh, from what I read. Is it not? No, I think that's Ace. See, my head cannon, like, because you know how you can sometimes imagine members doing stuff. Yeah, I know, Every I time can... I've seen it, I've always seen Paul playing that because it sounds like his little mini solos from his record and, like, uh, uh, Sure Know Something and stuff like that. But either way, um, but I like how they kind of bring it back down. It gets really big. You've got the solo. And then those choruses that I already liked were even bigger, and Paul's not doing as much of that vocal thing that you didn't like. So that those that's the moment for me that it kind of lifts it back up and it makes it cool so that's that's why i say i like it better than just a boy because just a boy is just very plateaued the entire time at least this has some swelling some building some different dynamics to it that make it more enjoyable for a concept listening to it in this order it feels like this is where bob ezrin stops it's like i feel bob ezrin's bob ezrinisms fanfare (laughs) i can hear it in just a boy and i can hear it in obviously an odyssey right but once you go from there a lot of that epic kind of melodramatic Mm -hmm. all the the lush string arrangements and everything we never see that ever again in anything that bob ezrin does with kiss well because 
the rest of the record, it's not really there as strong. Are you talking about on just this record or ever? Ever with the, we'll get to that album I, at another time. But there's a lot of strings on one song specifically. I understand that, but I'm saying the Ezranisms, and I'm not, I'm not saying just in relation to Kiss, mm-hmm. but you know, I look at the Berlin album, I look at Billion Dollar Babies, mm-hmm. uh, the the um, uh, I almost said Phil Spector, <laughs> the, uh, the um, the um, Peter Gabriel, Peter Gabriel yeah. right, right. You know, uh, the Pink Floyd's The Wall. Mm-hmm. You know, all this goes out the window, and it and, and and it makes sense now that you have the hindsight and the knowledge of knowing that he wasn't proactively involved. It seems like he might have started gung ho, and then just sort of oh, I don't know if he just lost interest. And you can see where this gets. You know, it peters off and it it becomes more of a guitar. Yeah, oriented. Peter is off of this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, but this goes into more of a guitar oriented album at this point yeah. from here on out. And uh, let's see, we go into only you. First Gene song. It takes four songs to get into a Gene. This one. is one of the few things that works for the concept. And I like this as a Gene song and as a Kiss song overall. Like I can't find anything really wrong with this piece in particular. I like it overall. The, the tell me your secrets Except, part yeah. it always kind of throws me off because it's a weird transition back into his uh, whatever. See, I think that's an Ezraism. The uh, tell me your secrets and uh, moment on the next song uh, as well. But we'll get to that. Well. I mean, but only you is the where you know I can pick up the storyline. I mean, if I'm following this in the order that it came, mm-hmm. you know, Odyssey just seems so misplaced because I don't understand what what's being told in the story here. And again, you know, we know it's an outside writer, and it's like it's been for, you know force well, fit. Russ, there's the, a child in a sundress. I understand. But he is like the the character. But, you know, the story what, is like so the, we get into the story here a little more proper with this only you, mm-hmm. and um, you know. It works for the concept, I think, as a song randomly to just enjoy. You know, it doesn't stand alone. You know, I think what makes a good concept record is that you can take, like, like with, again, going back to The Who, you can take Pinball Wizard and it stands mm-hmm. alone. It's a cool song. You can take Quadrophenia and you can take, like, The Real Me or 515, and you don't have to know what those songs are about. You can take them out of the context of the, of their, con, you know, of the, of the mm-hmm. concept. And they stand alone as a good song. Same thing with Pink Floyd. Uh, Pink Floyd's another brick in the wall part two. You know, that's that was a giant, huge hit single. Um, and they didn't have to know the concept behind it. didn't have to it. know the story behind it, you know. But here, these songs are kind of essential to, the, uh, to what you needed to have told, the story. Yeah, and the um, story is kind of vaguely based on the idea that the, the child in the sundress is the chosen one. Is he? Is that the child in the sundress? <laughs> See, I don't... That doesn't make no fucking... Why would he be wearing a sundress if he's a boy? <laughs> Maybe the boy is I'm looking at a... Just a boy! Why am I wearing this goddamn sundress? I'm not a sky! You're the chosen one. Yeah. Because only you, motherfucker! <laughs> Tell me your... Only you? Tell me your secret! <laughs> I don't have any! You're wearing a goddamn dress! <laughs> See, none of this fucking makes any sense. I would imagine the boy is looking at a girl (laughs) in his sundress, but maybe that's just my interpretation. And he's chosen why? We don't really know. Okay, so let's go into Under the Rose. Let's go Under the Rose. (laughs) This is my favorite Gene song on the record. 
with a co-write with Eric Carr, nonetheless. You know, there are elements that, that could translate to something a lot better here. I'm not exactly sure how, but in another context, I think that big riff part would be okay. Mm. Here it's kind of pat and disposable because it really doesn't lead to anything. It doesn't go anywhere. Yep. And, you know, it's like... This has the makings of a start of a song, and again, it's just un- it just feels underdeveloped. And it's like, well, we'll tack it, you know, because it kind of runs into from only you into this as one big song. Yeah, and it almost feels like they've just haphazardly stitched this together. Okay, we've got this. You know? I will say, a cool rhythm to it. Because again, with it being a co-write from Eric Carr, he's like locked in on a groove and a vibe he wants. So it's like during the verses when he's almost doing that marching a beat, marching beat, and then like the slightly off-time kick during certain periods. I think that's cool. And then it almost feels like they are trying to reach the demon of Gene during the uh, uh, the choir will part. You sacrifice see, that I part. Think, I don't see. I don't. I didn't really capture that when I you know from that. The demon part, I just, you know, I can see that as being like again the elder speaking or That's what whatever. Oh well, yeah, you know what I always visualize in my head when they talk about this shit. There was a live action Saturday morning television show uh, about Shazam, Captain Marvel. <laughs> yes, and okay. he would go and stand before the the the, the immortals. And exactly they were animated, right? You know, uh, and you know, Shazam is an acronym for uh, Solomon. Uh, oh God, Achilles! I was a Marvel kid. You're Zeus. looking at me. I know nothing about Shazam. <laughs> I can't Shazam. remember. I can't remember the, you know, the, the, the. They're all Greek gods. It's yeah. the first initial of all these Greek gods. You know. Billy Batson. <laughs> yeah. And when he would go and stand before him, they, they were the that was the animated part in the show. It would be like the live action guy, but the 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 zoo, the, the gods were all animated. Yeah. And I'm like, every time I heard this one, even when I was a kid, I just pictured those guys. I've always pictured just like Because the, they talked like this. Yeah. <laughs> I always imagined the will big you sacrifice. Tall, will you sacrifice? <laughs> like the big, tall, faceless, hooded, robed characters mm-hmm. that have like the arms just kind of like across their uh, waste of their stomach area. That was probably the image they wanted you to have. <laughs> but I'm sitting there seeing, you know, Zeus. And, I'll know, also say Solomon uh, and that Under the Rose riff was one of the first riffs I learned that took like a lot of walking and it felt like so intricate. See, that, that, that's okay, no, but that's not the riff I'm talking about. I'm talking about the the bouncing rip about 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 oh i know you're talking you know. about yeah I, no i always like the uh, the little walking riff the eric Carr played the acoustic on this as well ready for for the 80s yeah i know i tried to without being self-conscious i resisted for a couple episodes knowing barry's gonna make an 80s compilation but i just have to roll into it you know you know what this song reminds me of y'all know the band ghost yeah. You play the song next to a ghost song. This is what it reminds me of. <laughs> I can see that. Maybe that was an influencer to that band. I don't know. Maybe. So Dark Light. This is Ace's contribution. The it's weird like a Dark Light poster. <laughs> with a really, really weird riff, but I like it. See, what do you think? Uh, Again, like Cap said, weird riff. Um, Only Ace song we get, and... 
for legend has this because again Ezrin was like no none of your stuff is going on this record and he even made him rewrite the lyrics to this one in like a well, weekend i think they had to rewrite the lyric to fit the concept because it was originally called don't run and uh, yeah and that 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 demo exists mm-hmm. but it's not really that radical different is it no it, musically it's, it's still yeah. the same it's just half-baked is... lyrics talking about don't run from your problems or some bullshit so this song i think i think it's 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 built off this hackneyed jaws theme intro Mm -hmm. i know it (laughs) and the solo is i don't hate the solo it's it's kind of uninspired though in a weird way because i mean we're talking about it's the it's the era of we're starting to see the advent of the of the neoclassical Randy Rhodes, Eddie Van Halen, you know, and here Ace is just drilling on a single string note, you know, and just doing these descending little runs and yeah. things. And, and it's like, it sounds cool. I it like does. it. Two, two things I noticed on the but solo. It just seems like it's like, is this him trying to be Flash? You know what? I think it is. Because it doesn't really. Well, this, that leads into the interesting thing I noticed about the solo. One, not related. I think the first appearance of Bongos on a Kiss song. Right. <laughs> no. It's not? Then there's Bongos on Almost Human. Oh, That's you're right. right. You're right. Oh, yeah. But, but that you know, as soon as I say that, I just picture Gene over the corner. <laughs> <laughs> Doing the Babaloo. Right? Uh, but Gene secondly, Babaloo. <laughs> you'll notice that a lot of Ace's go-to solos sound like this solo Wait, he has his little he has but his, it sounds like he put all his little things in the solo yeah. and that's why i'm almost maybe this sounds like the quintessential ace solo because almost all his little tricks are in it even when you're talking about that hammering on that single string you know especially near the end before the bend mm-hmm. he i'm sure you saw it when you saw him laugh he does that as part of his big solo yeah. right before the smoke bomb so I, th- I think that's just his idea of being big and flashy i think the ir- irony here with that is that overall on this whole album it seems to me that the paul stanley solos work better for the songs that they're used on mm-hmm. and I'd his solo it doesn't work that well for his own song yeah and you know it like pains me to say that because i mean you know i'm a huge ace fraley fan but you know it just feels like he's not inspired by what he's doing honestly i just think it's the drugs like this this whole thing's kind of phoned in it's like i I don't have any ideas so i'm just going to do this i'm just going to hammer on this string well we uh whatever we teased it uh before we dove into the uh track listing but this is the first uh co-write on the record we get from uh lou reed yeah world without heroes well that's about dark uh, dark light light too which which i I don't what is what is what is he? I don't. Is I don't he know how he. On that? I yeah, he what, does. It okay. says. Uh, it says Fraley Reed, Fig, uh, and Simmons. Anton Fig gets a credit wonder, too. Yeah. I'm sure it was a lyrical idea somewhere that they probably. <laughs> you just know. Lifted. I like that because I was sitting here going because I've always heard about Lou Reed working on the record, but I've seen that and I guess I've never really thought about it other than, well, yeah, duh. This was a song Ace already had called "Don't Run." Where would he have? given a hand with writing so you know what you saying lyrics oh it's lyric yeah that, I'm sure. that definitely makes sense i'm sure every all of lou reed's contributions to this i'm sure are lyrical yeah uh world without heroes i think this is where the two places where i can hear some sort of lou reedism i guess to a certain extent but not not grand not any great i'm a lou reed fan so you know 
I'm I hear it more on his third contribution. But this song is recycled from a demo that Paul had called Every Little Piece of Your Heart. Oh. Every little piece of my heart. I want to hear a, that now. If, if every little piece of your heart has a star on it, then it's been a good heart. <laughs> Omaha, Omaha, Nebraska. (laughs) Lou was in recovery at the time, and I think he was trying to make some commercial inroads. He was doing stuff like the animated movie Rock and Rule. Mm -hmm. And um, I think, you know, this this seemed to him probably an opportunity to, like I said, he's trying to get some commercial standing again. Um, I don't, you know, his records were always... Uh, critically successful, but not always commercially successful. Right. Um, he was just about to make his probably one of his best albums called The Blue Mask, which was also, coincidentally or not, one of his heaviest. <laughs> um, but in, a, in, in, uh, in my notes here, I wrote, uh, it's a little too smart for Kiss and a little too dumb for Lou. <laughs> sort of like, sort of like his Metallica collaboration. Yeah. Oh my God. That that's way bad. I, well, it's way bad for Lou. And way it's ba- way bad for Metallica. Way too Metallica's Metallica. already bad. Aww. Aww. It's. I mean, I'm just, let's just call it for what it is. You know. And there's there's an op. That's kind of like Lou's elder because he <laughs> believed that record was going to be oh, massive yeah. yeah but he took a concept that already existed that no one understood it was way too dark lyrically you know and like there's a i'm going off on a side tangent there's a song on that album called brandenburg gate and if you see lou do that with his solo band it's such a i mean it's like night and day how much better it is it's so fucking good you're like how the hell did he fuck this up (laughs) oh because he he used fucking metallica that's why so lou reed is just i'm like i'm wondering how all those songs would have sounded with the you know with his own solo band but anyway here he's contributing (laughs) over two on hard rock bands (laughs) i think i think uh you know this is this is his uh acquiescence to trying to get some commercial status it brings for income purposes Right. You know, I mean, it's crass, but hey, you know, gotta get that publishing every, money. Everybody needs to get a payday, mm-hmm. and certainly he deserved one. Well, guess what? He wasn't gonna get it. You know. Imagine, but, look at. Uh, okay, pause a second. Think about how many people were gonna get side cuts from this record if it was successful. I know, like a lot more. It seems like than other records. Well, it shows how many people believed in the project. Going okay. into it, no one saw this as being a fail. Everyone saw this as being okay. Here's what we need to do, and this is what's going to do it. And that's what's so baffling. Is it just the sycophant behavior of no one around them going, "Uh, hey guys, uh, this, this well, isn't no really one, the move"? Because no one heard it. No one. They were working in, like I said, strict secrecy. No mm-hmm. one got to hear any previews until they previewed it for the record company um as far as world without heroes this in my opinion is paul stanley's best recorded solo yeah it is a really good solo i'd agree with that it's so good and you know uh we'll talk about this again in a minute this song worked i think really well when they played it live Mm -hmm. the one single solitary time they played it live (laughs) and i think this song is actually a really good song which i hated it when i was a kid 
But compared to everything else, it's pretty damn solid by it's, itself. For, and this is one of the few, you know, and I think it's not that coincidental. I think this was chosen as a single because it works as a standalone track. I was just going to say that it's one of the few on this record that you don't need to understand the concept to quote unquote enjoy, enjoy the, the song. song. I'm not the biggest fan of the song. Um, I don't know. I've thought about this one a lot. Honestly, this is the one I had the most problem with in my head thinking about where I kind of ranked all the songs. I don't know if I like it because I've just heard it so much mm-hmm. or if it's actually because it's good. Because right. like you said, there is a version that was recorded years and years later that kind of put it in a new light. Kind of like what you were describing, the Lou Reed song with his own band mm-hmm. kind of makes the Metallica song better. I mean, when they did this on Unplugged, complete, oh, yeah. completely different take. I forgot, I forgot they did that. Mm-hmm. And it, and like you said, for the uh, other live performance they did for this uh, promotion tour, the only time they did it on this, and it what, just we'll it just works yeah. it just works well live. So I don't know if it's just because I've experienced it in different aspects that I'm able to enjoy it, or if it's because it's just actually a good song. We'll I don't come, know. We'll come back to it here in a minute when we go over the. Do we uh, want to talk about the music video for it? Uh, no, we'll, we'll come back to that, too. Okay. Unless you want to talk about it now. No, I we'll guess come back we'll, to it. Yeah. Uh, the Oath. Just sounds the like- only hard rock song on the record. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, you know... Uh, well, it's only like, like as far as like metal or whatever, they try to dive into that speed metal territory. This is not something that they usually do, and it's a deceptively heavy riff, being <laughs> that it comes from Kiss, from a, and then gets to a very fluffy chorus. And yeah, you talk about in how, another uh, context, this would be decent, but it's not a great Kiss song. And as a lead track, as it stood when they. You know, the record company insisted this would be the song that opened the record. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's deceptive because it's not what this album is going <laughs> it's to be. Not representative at all. And you know, I guess as it was originally released, my perception was it sort of outlines what the story was supposedly going to be or at least that was you know that's how i interpreted it yeah does it make sense yeah yeah because you kind of get to like i guess it was like a turning point in the story where he kind of comes of age and yeah. takes his oath with the elder right, gods right. or now, the elder council but, or whatever pick that up when you got it it was like you started with that and it yeah it, so now you, this makes more sense when you got to hear it this way oh okay here's where we are now yeah you know now this is the moment where he's taking up the sword and going on the quest or whatever whatever the, the fuck quest this is. shit is i don't <laughs> fucking know and something interesting uh to note about this song that uh also is true about under the rose ace plays bass on it yep Does which he? which i find interesting if he because again what do we talk about at the beginning of the episode he where he's sending basically mm-hmm. i was almost about to say files jeez yeah. <laughs> he's sending tapes back and forth you know cutting his demos it's or cutting his and stuff ace, ace plays on the earth and ace, plays bass he plays bass yep, on i did it. not know that and that's what just I makes did me not know that and on world without heroes Oh, wait. That, no, no, wait, no, uh, under the uh, rose, under the rose, and dark light. That's our, that's right. My fault. Yeah, thought, it's not surprising for dark light. No. Well, you know, I mean, this, this, like I said, this is. Um, but just for the fact he did any bass aside from dark light is surprising to me because it'd be like, well, if he's already just phoning in, so to speak, his guitar tracks, 
it seems odd he would go that extra mile and be like, yeah, I'll do some bass on this too. <laughs> you know? And they may have been like, well, you know, give him something to do. Yeah. <laughs> Ace did nothing. He can get, can get <laughs> hammered to play bass. Why do all of a sudden I just picture Ace sitting in Connecticut and getting a phone call going, Ace. <laughs> he can't do it. His face just immediately just... <laughs> <laughs> Start laughing. Hey, this is Gene Simmons <laughs> of Kiss. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. How would you like to play bass on the new Kiss record? <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> For a nominal fee. <laughs> For five thousand dollars, you can play bass on this. <laughs> oh man, Mr. Blackwell, mm. I don't get it. I don't. Th- this is the one song that I think I only listened to all the way through once, just so we could do this episode. Every time I listen to this record again in preparation for this episode, I've honestly skipped it every time. What's, what? What? What, I, uh, what does this have to do with the story? Who is Mr. Blackwell? Is he the villain? I. Is well, he no elder? Point. Why is he called Mr. Blackwell? What does he do? Why is he bad? Why, why, you know. Why is he not well? Yeah. <laughs> they can tell, but I can't. I don't know. Why they keep the finger scrapes on the base? <laughs> well, I have a theory on that. I have a theory on that. Uh, because at the very beginning, you hear. The, well, no, <laughs> you hear uh, that growling, weird bass stuff. I bet you this would have been his new blood song. I don't know. I because think see, about because it, I that's what I hear works. that bass effect is. Because anytime he does his little finger scrapes on the bass during his blood effect, it has that kind of weird echoey vibe to know. it. Just I that gnarly know. tone too. I think mm-hmm. this is this is another Lou contribution. I think Lou musically, this could have been a Lou Reed song with different lyrics, and it would have worked really well for Lou. That's my problem with this. But this the stupid work, lyrics. But the lyrics don't work at all. I think you know it's kind of a funk riff, a little bit. You know, and I can see maybe shades of uh, another one bite the du- another one bites the dust, kind of influencing that kind of vibe. Not not directly, but you know the vibe. Yeah, a funk vibe. They're mm-hmm. like, oh, that worked for Queen. You know, see if we can't go up with a funk riff. I, you know, and and they have, you know, we've talked about a lot of their stuff lends to an R and B feel anyway, and they can do that really well when they choose to. And they almost did here. I think if they had rocked it up a little bit, there's something that's missing. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's during the verses. There's just not enough going on. Sometimes you can have yeah. too much going on in a song. There's just not enough if this going had, on. If this one had drilled along a little bit more as a, a hard riff, mm-hmm. it would have worked a little even more better. Gu- a yeah, little more guitar. guitar. Yeah. Without the stops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It would have been, I mean, this has the potential. And again, it's like so much of this stuff feels kind of rushed and unfinished. Especially the chorus. The chorus just seems like, oh, fuck. We, like, we've got lyrics for everything except this because even like his tonality it sounds like he just spat it out real quick that here. you're not loud. let's see let's see those weird uh, harmonies I'm, too I'm, I'm writing here uh, what do, uh, you know we need a villain let's call him Mr. Blackwell what rhymes with Blackwell mm, no well. you're not well <laughs> god we, damn it and and we can tell <laughs> yeah <that's it. laughs> deep man 
<laughs> and now I'm supposed to believe that they allegedly sat around for eight hours with notebooks and pens and not even picking up their guitars is the claim. And this is what they came up with. It took them eight hours to come up with this. I mean, fuck. <laughs> I think the three That's of awful. us could come up with yeah. more compelling characters in eight hours. God damn it. Well, they, they said they did this for every day before. Oh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't. Who said I, this? Know. Gene, fuck that. Uh, I don't. I think Paul made that comment. Escape from the island. Now I've always dug this, but it's. But you saw how I stopped myself just then. I said I've always dug this, but it's hard to call it a song. <laughs> Everywhere I go, everyone's got a big butt. <laughs> Let's talk about your big butt, Alex. <laughs> What big butt? <laughs> no, I, it's, I've always dug the riff. I thought it was really cool. It's just I've never called this a song though. It's just it feels very half baked. That's it's just exactly a jam. what I wrote. A half baked idea. Yep. Yeah. Man, this well, doesn't even translate as a possible riff for a proper song. It's a half baked idea from a fully baked Ace Freely. Completely unfinished. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. Just, hey, yeah. I, I, I wrote in my notes. It sounds unfinished. Should have stayed that way. <laughs> I think it had potential. I think the riff has a place. Like maybe if that was like the intro riff or like um, solo riff or something like that. I think it had potential. It's well, just it he has needs- a solo riff in it, but it, or solo part in it, and it's just well. See, I don't like. Good. Well, then they go into the George of the Jungle bit, and that's not. <laughs> well, and here's another thing: it, they've added sound effects here, and mm-hmm. it's a sound effect of a, of a. To me, it sounds like a horse carriage thing yeah. running wild in the mud. Yep. Wait yes. a minute. Escape from the island. Did Mr. Well, how did they get on an island? Well, how are they getting off the island on some horses? <laughs> yeah. I mean, is this a horse carriage traveling across what? the water? Is there some sort of supernatural element that's supposed to be part? I don't Why do they get and you it? Hear like, and you hear like gunshots and shit at some point? Like, uh, almost like those kind of like things are like whizzing past your I head. Don't, I don't. Where did they escaping from? Mr. Blackwell? Possibly. <laughs> no, the island cap. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, the island. Yeah. Got the island of Mr. Blackwell. <laughs> that sounded like like a Sid and Marty Croft Saturday morning. You know. the Meanwhile, on the island of Mr. Mr. Blackwell. Blackwell. <laughs> okay, maybe if they had actually made this like a Hanna Barbera Justice League kind of thing. <laughs> Meanwhile, this, back at the island, <laughs> this might have worked a whole lot better if this had been their concept for their TV movie. But I, I just so this whole thing just doesn't. So it closes out with the song I. So I would guess by escaping the island. He becomes he, his... He Because this song is like the ultimate like we win song. He fulfills his destiny. Yeah, so so like this song is like the celebratory... You did it. You escaped. We, we blew up the third Death Star. We're all dancing with the little midgets and little bear costumes moment. I believe in me. I did it. So it's like, what? What, what happened? I mean, are they going to play Stonehenge or what's going to happen? <laughs> There's a lot and, of stone. And, and he doesn't stomachs. need no money. And the boy has no name, so he's just boy. It's like, <laughs> and he doesn't need good money. Job, boy. He doesn't need no good, fame. Boy. He don't need to get ha- uh, wasted. Or- yeah, well, I I mean, I, I could stand alone as a single, and I guess was it going did. to serve as a single. And I, I, I like the song. I, I really do. I think it's a pretty good song. Oh, yeah. Even think, though I'm goofing on it, it's hokey, but it is It good. is hokey, but, yeah. It's the most Kiss-like it's a little bit, you know, maybe a little obligatory with the whole, you know, the trade-off vocal between Gene and Paul and what have you. But um, it's also interesting to note that 
Eric Carr does not play drums on this track. Nope. I find that so odd. They didn't feel he was nailing it. And they brought in Alan Schwartzberg, who played yep. on both Peter's and Gene's solo albums. But we like, talked about him. He played with Mountain. Played with lots of people. Well, it's like, we've got three musicians here at the table. We, we've listened to this record a good bit the weeks leading into recording this. It's not that hard of a drum beat. Like, like I can understand like if if it came out years later that you know and this isn't a slam on him but like if peter actually didn't play on detroit rock city and be like okay i can kind of see that because there's you know maybe some intricacies and stuff that he just hasn't played before in that you know position of him playing but like listen to this song it's just a the entire song and i'm just like it feels like any drummer worth their salt could get that vibe in you know much less eric Carr. well i wonder who made that call because it seems like ezra ezra did Ezrin did i don't you know but who knows and again he was high yeah yeah, yeah. i'm high y'all <laughs> you won't get high he's like what were I, you thinking i was i was thinking ricky i was high when i was thinking all that <laughs> was like what were you thinking i was thinking where am i gonna get my next load of blow <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, overall, this is not necessarily a bad idea. It's not a necessarily a bad concept. It's just badly executed. Mm-hmm. It's very poorly executed. I don't know if this could have been uh, expanded enough to have created a, like a double album, which is normally how these things work. But yeah. you can only imagine as bloated and as pompous as it is as a single record. <laughs> where this could have gone if it had been a double album but it's only because it feels it's just so unfocused and unfinished and it's like there's again the idea conceptually might have worked but it just like in, in, in listening to it now in this order the proper order like i said it feels like bob ezrin bailed out after the first three you know with really the first two songs he's like all right i'm done let me know how it works out you know uh well, uh, let me ask you guys this: What do you think of the uh, the Elvis impersonations on I that uh, Paul's doing? Because he, he's admitted to it being a Elvis uh, take. It doesn't bother me. I never really thought of it that way. I, didn't I mean, I, I mean, he, I, he admits I mean, to I, it being well, that. You yeah. say it, and I can hear it, but don't need no I don't, money. I, I don't, I don't I, need I don't, nothing. I don't, it doesn't bother me. It really doesn't bother me. Um, I just find that such an odd little thing. That, that they would be kind of like emulating an Elvis vocal that, you know, it's like, I know they said they're always Elvis fans and we even talked about in previous episodes around the Alive 2 era that what Jailhouse Rock was a consideration for a cover. So, you know, Elvis was kind of in the forefront of their minds. I just never thought it would ever get to that point where Paul's like, fuck it, I'll do an impersonation for a half a verse. Well, he may, he may, have, been, he may have been clowning a little bit, and they just liked it and <laughs> yeah. kept it. I mean, yeah. No, seriously, they may, it might have been something like, watch this. Uh-huh. And then somebody else was like, you know, that was actually pretty cool. <laughs> We're keeping it, Paul. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, was Elvis here? <laughs> Yo, no, we got Bob, Elvis. that was Paul. <laughs> We've got Elvis on this new record, man. <laughs> Elvis has a dad. He's, on Jamaica. He's in Jamaica with Tupac. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway. then after that we get the uh you have been summoned by the yada yada 
<laughs> Good much blue. That's, that's your opinion on it. Yeah, but then that's when we get that weird dialogue at the very end of the record with the the door shutting and yeah. it almost sounds like well, now the story's begun kind of thing. Yeah, well, so, are I mean, you sure that he is the chosen one? We'll see. I mean, that could have led into a second disc and not. Could have. I don't know. Uh, the 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 you know there was also talk that the you know. This would certainly demand a sequel, so obviously they wanted that. Um, but there wasn't going to be a sequel. I think this thing doesn't work because it's too dark and somber to be escapist entertainment. Which is what Kiss you know, at its core is, or was to its big fan base when it was Super Kiss. It's it's too dark and somber to be like you know to present this story of hope. It for some you know it just doesn't feel like that. It it's not escapist entertainment uh, at the end of the day kiss is a new york band and no matter how much paint and costuming they put on they will always be a new york band they are not a los angeles hollywood sunshine and roses kind of band they might live in hollywood now even but they just don't do that well they never have they're new york boys they're, they've got that new york kind of whether they whether they grew up middle class or 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 even upper class, it doesn't matter. They come from uh, an area that has uh, its own urban quality, and it doesn't matter what walk of life you are, you're going to carry that with you, I think. I, th- I mean, it I feels agree. like that to me, and it just, well, you know, I mean, Hollywood we, just ain't their bag, man. Well it's, like, well, it's like we even talked about on previous records, how it feels like they were trying to get that L.A. sound, but instead they got a Studio 54 New York vibe. Yeah. So, you know, I, I fully agree. You just, you cannot take the New York out of these guys especially right now and uh something else interesting to uh mention that we kind of mentioned in passing but didn't really you know touch on it much the one person i feel worst about in this entire situation is eric carr right right imagine this being your first record with kiss you you've seen all this stuff leading up it's like even though maybe their last two records weren't maybe the most groundbreaking or hard rock it's like there's still so much more before it no wait a minute that's always been the narrative Mm -hmm. you know and eric was kind of the one that said uh yeah sure about this Mm -hmm. supposedly he was the only one that said anything and maybe that's true But but if you know eric carr's background he was not a heavy metal drummer. He wasn't even a hard rock drummer. Right. He played in disco groups. Mm-hmm. Now, he might claim some sort of allegiance to that, but even in the 80s, I can remember they were like, what do you like, Eric? And he's like, I like Howard Jones. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, so I can't see him being too far out of the loop on this. I think he probably was like quite excited to be a part of this. Oh, but, I'm, I'm sure but he I was may be just wrong. excited to be part of because, I mean, again, that well, just yeah, is yeah, his yeah. character. I'm just happy to be here. Yeah, was like, yeah. he, he didn't have the uh, clout to make those kind of uh, decisions for him either. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was, that's the truth of it. And, you know, that's, how it played and, out and, and i'm sure where he probably really got snapped like a rubber band was not being able to play the track on i yeah mm-hmm. and what about the uh, the note here it says uh business manager uh, howard marks refused to allow his company name to appear in the liner notes yeah wow. because he saw this for the mistake that it was i've got that in my notes as well mm-hmm. uh meanwhile bill of coin envisions this as a giant album with all manner of tie-ins and he likes these big ideas because he's a creative manager, and that's you know that's his that's his forte. forte. Um, and he sees this as a bridge to rebuilding his relationship with the band. He thinks you know, and and so I, he's obviously wanting to take some 
certain amount of credit for this as being his idea and when it when it works it'll be that aha moment we were you know we've loved bill all along and real quick i find it interesting it seemed like when we were going through our rock and roll over episode kiss shot themselves in the foot with that relationship because they were going behind his back and reaching out to other people then they went and talked to him and, and then he was like no i'm just not going to work on this record what which one Ezrin? Oh, on <clears throat> uh, Rock and Roll Over. Oh, Rock and Roll, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, no, so I'm, I'm talking so about I, Bill Acorn. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about with Ezrin. Because no. I was like, I, I, re- I seem to remember Kiss kind of shooting themselves in the foot with that yeah, relationship. Yeah, no, this is, this is, this is Bill Acorn's okay, chance to kind of, he right. thinks this is going to reestablish his hold over the, the band. Um, the album's released in the last week of November 1981. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they took all paul just basically was talking about he's like this is the longest time they had not even been in the public eye and it took forever for them to get this whole record even recorded and released march through september is how long it took to record the album and now basically the longest they stayed in the studio it seems like because usually Mm -hmm. they knock out a record within like a month month and a half (laughs) up to this point well they the album cover they didn't even want to put their name on it which I don't understand about bands that have this hard on about we're going to make an album. It's going to be so great. We're not even going to put our rec- name on it. <laughs> you know, Led Zeppelin. You know, yeah, like, we're just going to put the four symbols because <laughs> we're fucking artists, man. <laughs> I don't. Well, I, just, I don't, no Led I don't understand <laughs> the logic in that at all on any level ever. You know, and obviously they didn't get their way. The album, you know, obviously has the brown door on the front with the hand. Mm-hmm. Um, Contrary to belief, it is actually not Paul's Paul hand. Stanley, yeah, no. apparently it's not Paul Stanley's hand. I think at some point Paul he was, cops to say and he did what. Yeah, hand, in but. his book, he actually, he actually has a funny anecdote about it. He said um, it was supposed to be his hand on the door. He said, but the day before. He slammed his finger in the car door, like it just like he messed up his hand in like, some way, and like, he got a purple nail. Oh, okay, so he couldn't use his other hand, <laughs> I don't, right? I don't, I don't uh, whatever. You know what? way, I don't, but, I'm not going to overanalyze his, that shit at his, all. But his, I don't funny, care. his funny anecdote on that was like he said, uh, so it was like the day before they were supposed to do the album cover shoot, and he was like, that should have been an omen. There's also there's pictures that exist of him standing in front of the door prop, which actually, thank you for saying that word too. Contrary to belief, that is not an actual. They didn't go to the streets right. of New York and find because everyone yeah. talks about, oh, I found the elder door. You're not gonna find yeah. the elder door. That was a manufactured door. A they prop. created that prop for the album cover. <laughs> if well, anything, the closest you're gonna find is they uh, they found the original schematics years ago for it, and they made a duplicate and it's at the uh, the kiss mini golf oh, so they actually have a replica at the kiss mini golf in uh, las vegas but i did not know that yes but that is that is the closest anyone will have to uh being near the elder door <laughs> you mean we're all gonna go and take photos with our hands on it now maybe yeah, we, we, you know, i mean my I, hand I, well, you, you could I tell it was it. my hand yeah <laughs> <laughs> with the tattoos and shit. You could tell it was the other door if it had a star in its cross. <laughs> so this album cover is just a big wow. It's a terrible fucking album cover, by the way. And then you open up the gatefold, and it's a Knights of the Round Table spread There's with no candles. There's no pictures of the band at all. Not in the, the most visual in the... band 
in probably history, and there's no pictures of the band. Not in the inner sleeve, to the nothing. cover, nothing. To be fair, this was probably these were the worst Kiss costumes of all well, time. Well, I'm gonna get to that. Yeah, but, yeah. but now, as, as a presentation for the whole album, the whole artwork and everything, all of it to me theoretically is correct, but it doesn't relate the excitement or energy of an adventure it adds to that somberness of yes. what i'm talking about there's just it does not have any energy or excitement this album is dark and somber like in a weird way this album cover almost fits more of a nick cave-esque type record than a kiss record <laughs> like do you, do you see when it, like you keep talking about the yeah. dark and somber yeah. it's like it almost fits more with a nick cave concept the hand on the door is a red the right, right, right hand, hand. <laughs> hey yeah yeah uh, yeah um i'm trying to come up with a clever nick cave tie-ins and i've got nothing under um, where the wild roses grow yeah oh <laughs> Under the From elder to eternity. <laughs> so they, yes, they unveil their new modern look. Ugh. Now, uh, they they do this in September with an appearance on Mexican television, where they do a. Uh, it's supposed to tie into a proposed tour they're going to do. Uh, but, however, they do a lip sync of oddly choiced charisma. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I was made for loving you, and they're in their new costumes, their new sporty look. Yeah, sporty. Yeah, sporty Paul. Yeah, let, let's let's go ahead and talk about costumes now, since we're getting into public appearances. Uh, they chop their hair off. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Paul's wearing, uh, like you said, a sporty, fun uh, purple bandana. Yeah, Je a well, I headband. Like the headband. Yes, I actually kind of like Ace's costume. Ace isn't like. too bad, like even though he's in tennis shoes. Give mm -hmm. him his platforms back, and that would have been cooler. It was kind of harking back to um, his earlier costumes, it felt like. And then Jeans honestly feels like something out of D&D. &D. Yes, he looks does. like a D&D &D character. Mm -hmm. He looks like someone that should be out of like Lord of the Rings. Like a, like a, a castle guard yes. or some shit like that with the ponytail. The ponytail <laughs> braided and everything. On else. the side. <laughs> And then Eric actually looked cool. He was in all leather and zippers. Like, he had, honestly had the coolest outfit out, mm -hmm. out of all of them. What's your take? I hate Paul's. It's the worst. Uh, it's my least favorite Paul costume because of the headband. It's such a dated look. But he was going, that was, uh, it's that whole thing we were talking about on Unmasked where you just kind of picture him on a treadmill singing all these, <laughs> you know, montage songs, as I call them. Yeah. But, oh, and one other interesting design choice Paul was still wearing heels. But they weren't the chunky platforms. They were almost like stilettos. Like the, the heel came to like, a point. Uh, like, like drag. <clears throat> yes, they were almost like women's heels he, instead yeah, of like the well, blocky. That's probably what it was. Well, and, yeah. and he had the black pearl necklace thing that looked. Butt, butt beads. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <what laughs> anal beads. Yeah. Yeah. He had but, uh, the anal beads around his neck. No, nah, but I liked uh, Ace's uh, costume the best out of all of them. If I had to pick one that looked decent, you know. Now, personally. I felt this look worked. I thought this was where they should be and where they should be going. Even and I'm saying this. 
I think minus there's certain accoutrements, <laughs> right? That Paul Accessories, could have done, the, the necklace, you know, and maybe yeah. a different kind of boots. Mm. I understand his the need for his head his headband at that time was because he was still conscious self conscious about his malformed ear. Yeah, mm. I, I'm not gonna. I would never crumb on that for a minute. But I find that as an interesting design choice, though. It's like if I'm gonna cut I, my hair short, it was I still have to. I think I think it worked. I think that you know they had to update. Yeah, they had to, or they, they didn't have to, but they felt like they had to because mm-hmm. again, we've talked about this. All these bands felt like they had to translate into the '80s, and how was Kiss going to translate into the '80s? Mm-hmm. And I think they're doing this successfully as far as that look. I don't mind jeans, D and D, short hair, <laughs> none of that. I thought all that was kind of neat at the time when it happened because mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I lived through this and I can remember, you know, seeing this on. You know when they did the Fridays thing, but we'll we'll get to that here in a minute. Uh, but so this is your you know the first look is I guess they're starting to roll out some sort of promo material at the same time. I don't I don't recall that, but they do the Mexican television thing. Yeah, and that was like right as the record was coming out, like right before rather. Um, yeah, because it was that in, yeah it was before it was in September. Yep. Um, and then they did this. Um, Flo and Eddie thing. When did we have any information when they did that? Well, the first thing they did for uh, was actually December seventh. They did the uh, Solid Gold performance. Okay, was, so did they did, do Solid Gold before they did the Flo and Eddie thing? Yes, Flo and Eddie and a lot of the other stuff didn't happen until eighty two. Okay, well, uh, we'll go there. Uh, but let's talk. What about the videos? Do we have an idea when the videos were filmed? I don't have a lot of info on the videos themselves, um, even though. I really probably should have dug into it a little bit more because we have that big mystery behind the eye video. Do you know about that? Yeah. <clears throat> so well, that and so if we're going to talk about the two videos, so the World Without Heroes video was very kind of stripped down. Like I don't really think there's much in it. I know that the uh, Kiss and Kiss the Early Years photography book actually had a good bit of information about the filming of the two music videos because the same photographer that kind of followed them around in the seventies doing those uh, those really famous yes doing those really famous New York photos of them like just walking around mm-hmm. and getting interactions with like old people he stuck around kind of through the seventies but he did come back for the shoot for those two music videos and he kind of just talked about how there wasn't much to really. See say they just kind of came in did the thing and then left well it, there's something to say though about the i one yes well there's something to say about world without heroes <laughs> okay because i i could it, we i never got to see the whole video i don't think of that when it came out but i oh, saw you're... a part of it on on i think it was on entertainment tonight but it may i may have seen the whole thing i can't remember i know that entertainment tonight segment you're talking about too yeah but of course you know much has been said about gene simmons tear at the end of the Mm -hmm. video and even us at that age and i this is 1981 so i was 10 years old by this point was like that's lame. <laughs> Gene Simmons doesn't cry. He doesn't cry. <laughs> Unless you he know? loses a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know. And this was before the tattoo tear was a thing. In yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just saying, you know, we just, uh, but, you know, at the same time, it was still exciting because anytime you got to see any visual of Kiss 
in person, you know, not not a photograph that was in Sixteen magazine or something. That was always really exciting. Yeah, you know, and we had not yet gotten the memo where I lived that Kiss was no longer cool. <laughs> yeah, I was about to ask, uh, you know, your perception. That, I would never get that memo until after I left where my hometown, but uh, a couple of years later. But you know. We didn't care. We were stoked about this album. We were like big time stoked about it. Um, were you uh, looking forward to the fact that it was going to be, you know, a more hard rocking album than no, Dynasty? I, I, I was ten years old, dude. I didn't that didn't register. It was the new Kiss album, and I totally accepted it for what it was and how it was. Okay. You know, it wasn't until I got older that I began to kind of understand. Oh, that was kind of weird. <laughs> you know? But the the eye video. They film a video for I that never gets released. Yes, <clears throat> and it's and it basically has what I would imagine the proposed stage would be if we want to use kind of the uh, the history of their past music videos. Because if you look at the promo videos they did for uh, Love 'Em, Leave 'Em, Hard Luck Woman, they used the stage yeah. they would tour yeah. it with. Um, same thing with the Sure Know Something I mm-hmm. Was Made for Loving You videos. Fast forward a couple years later. Um, the I Love It Loud music video. They used the tank. Well, so I would imagine that in this unreleased music video that eventually has now surfaced on YouTube maybe about three or four years ago would have been roughly what the stage would have looked like, which well, would have had weird ice like things coming yeah. up off the side. Like a and like the, of solitude. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. There's 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 um, references to two different stage designs that were that were forwarded. They were designed and you know in, in, in as far as blueprints, I guess, or whatever the the word would be, the terminology. I don't remember exactly what they said they were centered around, but I don't remember it being. Uh, it didn't the way I read like it, a fortress didn't, of solitude. didn't register that it would be this what's in this video, but that doesn't make it you know that's very plausible. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting about the video to me now that we've seen it is it's like you know you've got this very brightly uh, dressed multi ethnic. <laughs> Uh, After school audience. special yeah, audience. It looks like, a, like, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, just like the, the casting call was like, okay, you know what? Let's just get all of Central Casting in here. And it's Every like none of them look like rockers. Got, no. Yeah, nobody look. There's no long hairs. There's no. <laughs> I, th- I forget what show it was, but they were talking to some audience members. I think it was before uh, the, an eye performance, and it's just like three, two or three older folks. That oh, have, that might be the solid gold. That might be the solid gold where they have no clue who Kiss is. They clearly do not care, but they're just on TV just answering questions. <laughs> that might be the Fridays thing where they do a little bit. The TV shows, yeah, you, you, it, the solid gold is uh, well, before we even get to that, um, we'll finish up the eye thing. Yeah. You know, I, we, we're, we're laughing about that. I'm, I don't think it's a joke or even funny or Odd that it's they not have funny a, guys. No, that they have a multi-ethnic crowd. I've always noticed that at, at Kiss concerts. I think that that's part of what I think is kind of cool about the Kiss fan base is that it is so diverse and mm-hmm. it is and it's not any one thing. It's not any you know. It's not necessarily a heavy metal audience. It's right. kind of a you know. It's it's kind of a yeah because because at every show they just lift them up on their shoulders and carry them out of the arena. (laughs) But that throws back to the Who's uh, video for Join Together. Okay, 
they do the same thing and mm. i'm like okay well i know where that comes from right <laughs> but this didn't look like a rock and roll audience they're just like uh, yeah because you can still be a, a, a diverse multicultural audience but still be a bunch of rockers the, i remember distinctly I, I could be wrong but i have in my head like there was this a uh, really cute like black chick that had like double ponytail but they're kind of like big balls and they had like the big glasses and she's just grinning ear to ear smiling and clapping along yeah. and i'm like you wouldn't have actually been to the kiss show though <laughs> well, i don't know at the end of the day we talked about howard marks not wanting his name on the credits of the album yeah he was right this album bonds uh yep. it's the most expensive album damn you mr blackwell had. yeah mr. <laughs> <laughs> and we can tell <laughs> this is the most expensive album to date and its failure doesn't help the relationship with polygram after negotiating such a hefty deal now, Howard Marks is probably just like, he's the one that negotiated the deal. But this, you know, and we already talked about, there, he's power playing against Bill LaCoin at this point. So he's both sitting on his hands going, God damn it. And then at the same time, he can sit there and turn around and go, well, I told you. You know? And, of course, they're going to look at Bob Ezra, or they're going to look at Bob Ezra, they're going to look at Bill LaCoin with you know a side eye now mm-hmm. yeah. because they're gonna feel like well he should have known better even though it's there he's our manager but he it was there were there you know it, well at this point it's not fair for him to be blamed for this uh at some point during this year too i meant to look this up and i forgot this is this is this is where my professionalism kicks in <laughs> Bob, they're, they're, <laughs> so many things. Bill Coin pulls off a major coup here. Mm-hmm. This is something that cannot be understated: is he is able to secure registered trademarks. This is something they had been working on for years, and at the at the outset, we're told impossible. You can't do it. But he's gotten their face paint designs as registered trademarks. Meaning no one else now can use them. Right. Whereas a year prior, we talked about the uh, Linda Carter episode having Kiss. That predates that trademark. That's why she could get away with it, or the producers that made that show got away with it. Now, if it were now, you know, a year later, no one can do it because that belongs to the band. The logo belongs to the band. Uh, These are things, registered trademarks. And this could be, and this might be the biggest accomplishment they that still, you know, this is, is as important today as it was when it happened. Absolutely, it's important because this is why they're able to use those. The the you know, it belongs to Gene and Paul now. Yeah, and um, you know, and here they've they you know, it it, it was not an easy task, and from what I understand, it it, it took a lot of legal wrangling and they're able to pull this off and those are probably the most valuable things that they have singularly absolutely (laughs) or quadruply well i guess there's six designs but i was going to ask if uh, the eric carr uh, design was trademarked too absolutely um well, I was trying to look it up just to see if there was uh, any information i could find just on the fly somewhere there's a there's a um there's a, a patent on it, the a copy of the patent. There is, uh, but what's really interesting is through the Bill Baker Ace Fraley archive, Ace's original contract from '79 is available. So oh, they yeah. were starting this back in '79, trying to do the uh, 
copyright uh, for the uh, or trademark rather for the makeup. Yeah, they, they've been working on it for years. Mm-hmm. Yep, it says uh, this is the very file, uh, very copy for Ace's um, makeup trademark registration uh, and some relative litigation up with the same file, original red folder, yada yada. Yeah, they so that original paperwork actually got sold at one point. Um, I'd love to read that. The claim yeah. is made often that the group doesn't tour because the album was un- was a bomb, and it's like, why would you tour behind it? That doesn't follow the conventional wisdom of what touring was for. The mm-hmm. touring was to promote the album. Yeah. The reason why they don't tour is because there isn't any promoters that want a Kiss tour at this point. They're seen as as yesterday's news. And this album just solidifies that belief in further. So, in a sense, yeah, it's because the album bombed. But no, Not they no. had already they had they had came up with two stage designs. They had a tour proposal already in Mexico that fell apart, and now the you know there's not a U.S. promoter that wants a Kiss tour. That's just there's just no demand there. Not only that, uh, Ace Frehley's checking out at this point too. And well. Not quite, but close. Almost. Almost. Very close. Um, Real quick, and we'll wrap this episode up because I guess we're getting kind of long here. Uh, We talked about December 7th, they record the Solid Gold performance. It's a lip sync of I and World Without Heroes, the two singles. And to me, it's sort of a surprise that they would even do this because uh, this is fresh on the heels of the release. And it would seem like they are not yet aware this thing is going to tank. So Kiss is conceding to a a uh, lip-synced appearance on a syndicated TV show, which seems beneath their super Kiss perception. And it was going to be redone as like a satellite appearance at the San Remo Music Festival in Italy. Well, this, I'm talking about Solid Gold. Oh, I thought you. I thought you said yeah. No, sorry, I'm yeah, still yeah. on Solid Gold. But that's the next. The next public appearance is that January 28th, 1982. Uh, they do that San Remo thing. Uh, that feels more like what you would think they would lend to that perception. You know, live TV. At least it's something you know, quote unquote, big, mm-hmm. a syndicated show. And Solid Gold was a popular show. There, right. There's no doubt about it, but it still seemed beneath what Kiss would do. I could see them using the video mm-hmm. for World Without Heroes or something. And but, but hey, at least we got our one main performance out of them. I never of that saw show. it. When it, it when, you know, I missed. I just, really? Yeah. And I, I, I could see Solid Gold fairly regularly, when mm-hmm. I, but I never saw that episode. Um, I think, I, I mean, I've seen videos of it since. But, right. Um, but the uh, San Remo Festival, that's uh, f- the satellite feed uh, shot at Studio 54 in New York. Or I, I, I don't know if Studio 54 was even still open at that point. It was the location of Studio 54. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And, of course, famously, Ace does not make it. Nope. As he was either sick or he was sick yeah <laughs> i i believe the latter but I always giggle when i hear the uh, the news piece before it was like uh, ace i mean i don't know no, gene a- paul and eric are here at this uh to perform for the same real festival ace fraley could not make it with the flu with the flu <laughs> yeah no, but, you, but you did it wrong it's the robin leach voice right oh yeah yeah <laughs> ace peter and paul or, or <laughs> peter ace eric and paul get into studio 54 <laughs> <laughs> Ace had the flu. Yes, Ace had Ace had the first confirmed known coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, Ace Frehley is ground zero. <laughs> he was like, ah, ah, 
<laughs> um, and Paul also says something really telling too. Uh, flash forward all the way to uh, 2022, where it is no secret that he's singing to tracks now. Uh, he actually says in that Studio 54 interview, he goes, "You know, it just goes to show the dedication of our fans that they would come out to see us. You know, just do a glorified lip syncing." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "Huh, boy, that aged well." <laughs> I might have my dates wrong here maybe that was that on the, maybe that's right i've got now i've got january 15th i think i've got this backwards i think the 15th might have been i don't know it doesn't the really 15th matter 15th was um fridays fridays yeah. now fridays was an abc uh it was their answer to saturday night live only it aired on friday right night. <laughs> and uh included in the cast and the writers were larry david larry charles and michael richards who would all find Become success seinfeld. later with seinfeld um Larry Charles and Michael Richards were also part of the cast. Uh, Larry, Larry, uh, Larry Charles, Larry David was part of the cast. Excuse me, Larry Charles was a was a writer. Um, I'm the, curious to see this now. The show had a reputation as being kind of a hipper, edgier kind of sketch know, show. Sketch show than you know, and and it had the hipper, edgier musical guests. They had the Stray Cats on before their first U.S. record had been released. Um, they had uh, the Clash. They had the Plasmatics, for God's sake. Oh wow! <laughs> um, which is fucking amazing. If I you know, get to right? See it. I mean, it, just the idea of the Plasmatics on on, on TV, on, on yeah, on network television is amazing. And when they were still the fucking Plasmatics, not <laughs> not that watered down heavy metal bullshit she did later on. Oh, um, and who was responsible for that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> they also had they had groups like Devo. Devo were on several times, you know, and Devo were really cutting edge for what they were doing at that time. Uh, the Jam, so they had cool, you know, edgy stuff on on Fridays. So this made more sense in that you know it was considered an edgy late night show, you know. So it made more sense for Kiss to do this. However, by this point, I think Fridays was in its third season and was very close to being canceled. The ratings had completely tanked. So the only thing really notable about this is that it is the only truly live performances of any of the Elder material. And we get three songs. You get The Oath. You get that great version of World Without Heroes. And you get a slightly out of tune eye. (laughs) (laughs) But that world without heroes works really well for me. I think Gene's vocal on it is better than it's on the record. And then Paul rips that solo. The solo. The question I have, and I could not find this anywhere. And if anyone's listening that knows, who the hell's playing the keyboard on that? There is a keyboard player not on stage and not pictured, but you can hear it. And they're playing live, so somebody mm-hmm. always know, maybe Paul Schaefer. Maybe, <laughs> maybe in my head, always kind of considered that to maybe be a track. I don't think so. I think it's. Yeah. A, I think it's live. I mean, it doesn't sound canned. Um, I think you know that was exciting. I can remember staying up to watch that. It was like hard to you know we were gonna we got to stay awake, but man, it was like fuck kiss man on television. It was so fucking exciting because we you know especially where I lived at that time was fairly an isolated area, and I could only pick up one television channel. But you know we stayed up late to watch it, and it seemed like we watched it on a 
a small 12 inch, you know, portable TV. And, you know, it was just exciting because it was Kiss on television. And yeah. you don't, you just didn't get to see that. And, 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 you know, we felt like we, you know, we're seeing something really special here. And then you go and talk about it with all your friends and they're like, Kiss sucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know. Um, Ultimately, the album barely reaches the lower ranks of the top 100. It peaks out at 1970 or 1975. <laughs> <laughs> peaks out at 75 uh, the week after the Friday's appearance, but I don't think that had any boost from the show because the week before it was at 76, so it got boosted one notch. Mm-hmm. And then three weeks later, it's completely gone off the top 200. And does, three and does weeks later i don't think it even goes gold gone i don't think this record has even sold a hundred thousand copies um there's no accounting for it other than what we know from the sound scan era and i think it's only sold like fifteen thousand copies and that includes the remasters Woof. it's it's just i don't think this i don't think this record sold a hundred thousand copies i really don't i might be wrong but i don't think i'm wrong um kiss had become accustomed to leading where they wanted to go you know, Kiss kind of were their own anomalous thing. They built their own cult following. The fans came to them, mm-hmm. and they built it until it grew into a fad. The fad is now over. So Kiss have been so accustomed to bleeding, and you know they uh, they've had the uh, unusual relationship with Casablanca, in that they had a record company that. Allow them to virtually do anything they wanted to do. They do not have this with Polygram. Um, but their fans have always followed them until now. They have not only they've they not followed, they have left for other interests. Yeah. Yeah. From this point forward, Kiss will follow. Yep. Rather exactly. than the fans follow Kiss, Kiss will now follow. This will not change. It's over there's no way to underscore it is over i feel like we're going to get into a lot more of that on the next episode too it's interesting to note this record seems to be enjoying a little bit of a critical and even i wouldn't say commercial reassessment like a cult resurgence but it's interesting like right now kiss online is selling uh, picture disc versions of the album and one of the picture discs is a is a repro of the japanese version and it's sold out and twice they, so because they put out meanwhile, some more Rock and Roll Over is on a picture disc and that has not sold out a superior record yeah. much so it's interesting I think fans you know there, there is a loyal dedication to this record now however bad it may be <laughs> but this is the end of Kiss it really is you know I, I've always said Kiss can be capital K-I-S-S versus uh, capital K, lowercase lower I. Right. <laughs> They're two different bands, and this is where that break is, and we're going to see it really underscored with the with the defection of Ace Frehley. And that will be on the next episode of No Time to Turn. We hope you guys have enjoyed this one. It's been a lot of fun. So for Alex and for Cap, I'm Russ, and we'll catch you next time on No Time to Turn. Thank you for listening. Please insert another coin by supporting the show for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash somethinggoodnetwork.